You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. Well, good afternoon, Passion City. Hello, Cumberland and everyone around the world today. We are coming to the close of this journey to the ends of the earth, but we're not there yet. So it really is a beginning and not an ending today. And the message today starts with a big question, and the question is, what are you willing to give your life for? This mission that we are invited into, we talked a few weeks ago, is an all-in mission. An all-in mission that requires an all-in church, and an all-in church requires an all-in me. And so at the end of the day, God's inviting everyone who's put their faith in Jesus on the journey, here, there, and everywhere, to be a representative of a message that you can only find one place, and that is in the person of Jesus. And that message is a message of grace and forgiveness and redemption. It's a story of the glory of God. You can't find it in any other religious tradition. You can't find it by just flipping the pages through uh, Google and searching for a way. The only person who has come down, paid the price, made a way for you and me to step into grace through faith not by works or any effort of our own. His name is Jesus. And he loved you enough that he considered you worth dying for. We know what Jesus thought was worth dying for. The glory of God and a grace that he could extend to you and to me. He loved you, valued you, created you, sought you, wanted you, and redeemed you, he believed that you were worth dying for. And it's interesting, as we come to the end of the book of Acts, you get to Acts 28, Paul, who is one of the main characters in this story, has arrived in Rome. He's finally made it to Rome. He wants to be a light and a a witness at the epicenter of civilization at that time. And then the book just ends, and Paul's there, and his friends and some family are around, and the book just ends, and there's no real resolution to what happens to Paul's life. And for that, we turn to some of the other letters that he wrote in the New Testament and to church tradition, and we see at the end of the day what he was willing to give his life for. I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Reading in verse 6, and Paul knows he's coming to the end of the road. And he's writing to Timothy, who is the guy that he's raising up to carry the torch forward. And coming to the very end of this second letter to Timothy, he says, For I, verse 6, am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Now, that's the kind of mentality that we got to have in life, and it's certainly the mentality you want to have in death. I'm not ending here. I'm just departing for somewhere else here. My flight is about to leave. And he was excited about this moment in time because of 
verse seven. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all. Can you say that word with me? To all. Now I want everybody to say it together. To all. So, so there's a crown of righteousness that I believe that the Lord is going to give me on that day, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Now that's, that sounds like the final word to me. That, that sounds like the end. I, I'm out. Drop the mic. I'm done. My departure is near. My flight is leaving, and I feel really good about the way that I live my life. I, I finished my race. I have kept the faith. I know that there is going to be something ahead for me that is greater than anything I've experienced already in my journey with God. Feels like a mic drop moment, but then we get some personal remarks at the end of this letter. This is scripture still, so it's still inspired by the Holy Spirit. It still has a purpose for your life and my life, but it's just personal remarks. And you're like, why are there personal remarks in the Bible? Why is there extra stuff followed in the end by final greetings. I don't need any final greetings and I don't need any personal remarks. You just made the drop the mic statement of all time. Everyone wants to be able to say this. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. There's a crown of righteousness that the Lord Jesus has in store for me. Goodbye, I'm out. But the Holy Spirit says, no, I want you to put some personal remarks in and then I want you to put some final greetings in after that. It's all God breathed and it's got a role in people's lives. Why? Because if you are going to get in this story, you have to onboard a few big ideas and we're closing with them today. Number one, you have to make sure that you never mistake visibility for value on this journey of making Jesus known here, there, and everywhere. In other words, you have to make sure that you don't caught, get caught in the trap of feeling like I'm only valuable in the process of being a witness for Jesus if I'm visible and people can see what I'm doing. In this story, what God is looking for today, right here today, at Passion City Church, this is not like theoretical, this is us today hearing from God. And he's saying, what I'm looking for today is availability, not necessarily visibility. Now that doesn't mean that you're not gonna ultimately be visible, but you might be visible to the person that you work next to, or your neighbor, or somebody that is in the shadows of life, and you may never be on a stage, you may never be Paul, or Peter, or John, or Stephen, or, some, or Barnabas, or Silas, or some of these other apostles who 
really do get the spotlight in the book of Acts. And it's always gonna be that way. There's gonna be somebody when we gather, who's gonna be leading us in worship? There's gonna be somebody who's gonna be leading us out in intercession, leading us out in prayer, exhorting us with the word of God, preaching and proclaiming the truths of scripture. There's always gonna be somebody who's kinda in the light, but what God is wanting us to all see today is it's not about visibility, it's about availability. And the only way Atlanta is gonna experience a revival is if everyone is available for the Spirit of God to use them, not just the few people that are visible. And we gotta always keep that in check in our hearts, that you don't have to be in the spotlight to be used powerfully by God. So the personal remarks, can we get excited about them? I have a few of them underlined in my Bible, crazy, I know. Do your best to come to me Quickly, So he's telling Timothy, hey, if you can get to where I am, I need you to come as quickly as possible. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus, or Tychicus, I'm not sure exactly how he pronounced his name, to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Now, why is this in the Bible? Do we really need the personal remarks? I forgot my coat. Holy Spirit, breathe on that word today. (laughs) And my scrolls and the parchments. Then verse 14, another guy. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Getting some personal remarks in, people. (laughs) You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. And then he shares a little bit about his struggle and he comes down to the end and he says in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. That's gotta be the mic drop. Nope, final greetings. (laughs) Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now this couple appears all through the ministry of Paul. They were companions of his in ministry. Sometimes they'd go before, sometimes they would stay behind, but they, they were a powerhouse couple, both of them in ministry with Paul. Greet them and the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimia sick in Miletus. Now, that's a whole nother sermon for another day, and I really don't wanna make a big point of it, but Paul left a guy behind who didn't feel well. So everybody doesn't get healed in the story of God. Okay, sorry, should've just left that out. 
Um, but it's Paul. If, if you don't feel well and you're traveling with Paul, you're good, right? Because he has authority and power as an apostle to do amazing miracles. But for whatever reason, this dude got left behind because he wasn't feeling good. Do your best to get here before winter, thus the coat. <laughs> Eubulus greets you. you know, put that in your online dating profile name. Hi, I'm Eubulus. <laughs> and so do Putin's, Linus, Claudia, and now we got a whole band of brothers, all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Mic drop. Why? Because God wants to make it clear that value and visibility don't always go hand in hand. And so everybody knows Paul. Everybody understands that Paul's the guy. Everybody understands that the vast majority of the story of the expansion of the early church centers around a guy named Saul who was Paul. But at the end of the day, God is wanting to say, hey, there are a lot of people in this story. You want to see it again? Look at the end of Romans. The entire last chapter of Romans, Romans 16, is all a list of the people that Paul is thanking. And it is a long list of people. Some of these people are also mentioned in Romans 16. Why? Because God wants you to know that everybody has a role in the story. And yes, some people are going to get lifted up. Some people are going to get talked about more. Some people's gifts are going to put them at the center. But the only way it's going to work as if everybody is in the story. If you need heart bypass surgery, you're going to go to a specialist. You're not just going to talk to your friend at work. You're going to go see a heart specialist, and he or she is going to diagnose you and then say, I'm going to operate on your heart. But the moment they say you're going to have an operation, dozens of people are now activated in your story, most of whom you will not know their names, and they will get very low visibility in the process of you getting a brand new heart. People like the check-in person at the hospital, the schedulers, the insurance people, the diagnostic people, imaging specialists, the nurses, the nurse practitioners, the food service people, the janitorial team, the linen service, the pharmacists, the lab technicians, the anesthesiologists, the surgery prep team, the security team, the people who run the parking facility, the critical care team, the chaplain, the gift shop people, the building maintenance people, the waste services people, the rehabilitation specialists people, and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. They're all going to have a role in your brand new heart. But at the end of the day, somebody's going to say, what happened? So I went to see Dr. So-and-so, and he fixed my heart. She fixed my heart. So somebody is going to get visibility, but your heart's going to get fixed because of a whole lot of people who are available in the story. This happens all through Acts. In Acts 14, the power that's coming through Paul is so strong that they think he's one of the gods, like in human form somehow. 
And he's gotta say to them, no, I'm just, we're, just, we're just people. All the power belongs to God. Not maybe just people, we're, we're apostles, and when the church was started in Acts 2, when you read the very first thing it says about the church, starting in 42 in that last little paragraph coming down, it says, and, and they were under the apostles' teaching. So th- there was someone in, a, in, in the light, if you will. But it says they, they were all together. They were all in the flow. They were all, all in. And nobody was hung up over who had visibility, everybody was really leaning into availability. And that's what God is asking for today. Are you available? And what are you worth giving your life for? I mean, what, what do you consider worth giving your life for? Are you available? And what do you consider to be worth you giving your life. Paul's at the end. He's getting ready to depart. He feels good about the way that he's lived and is confident in his reward. The second thing that has to be true is we have to erase the secular and spiritual divide and see that we are all ministers of the gospel. If you didn't uh, see or hear the message from Andrew Scott last week, I'm just so encouraging you to take time to go and watch it. It was an incredible invitation for you and me to, to use the things that God has wired us to do for the purpose of taking the story of Jesus to the world. So what we've gotta do somehow is tear down this mindset that says, oh, the professional people They tell people about Jesus, and the rest of us over here, uh, we have all kinds of other lesser important jobs that wouldn't really fit into a spiritual purpose. And God wants you to understand that if you know Jesus and have had an experience with him, if you've had an encounter with Jesus that has changed your life, you are now qualified and invited in to be a minister of the gospel story of Jesus to the world. You're invited in right here and right now. Everyone is invited in. And that's only gonna happen if you see that there's no distinction between the sacred people over here and the secular people over here that God has put you where you are for a reason. He's given you the gifts that he's given you for a reason. And your vocation, that is your ministry, See, you, you hear people all the time, are like, yeah, I have a job, and da-da-da-da, blah-blah-blah-blah-blah, but I also serve at my church, and that's my ministry, or uh, I'm a door holder, and that's my ministry. No, that, that is your ministry, but your job is your ministry. You know, that's just where I make money so I can pay my mortgage, so I can go on vacation a couple weeks every summer, so I can send my kids to college, so I can do the stuff I really want to do. My job's just a means to an end. Well, if your job is just a means to an end, you need a new job. If your job is simply a way to get to the weekend, you need a new job. Because God did not give you gifts, ability, talent. He didn't give you opportunity. He did not give you a unique set of skills just so you can sit at a Zoom or sit at a desk and bide your time till the weekend. That is not God's 
plan for your life, and you get one shot at life on planet Earth. This is it. And you're telling me you're gonna spend five days a week doing something you don't like just so you can go somewhere you wanna go on the weekend? Man, you need a revelation. You need to wake up. Hey, you need a new job, and you need a new view. You are put on the planet with certain gifts, abilities, talents, aptitude, so that you can be a biotechnician, so that you can be in sales. You could sell a rock to another rock. You just have it so that you can be in education or be in finance or banking or in some part of the healthcare industry. All that was God wiring you up uniquely to put you in a sphere of this world where you could be a beacon of light and hope in your world. They're not inviting me to your company. I have not gotten one invitation this year to come to any of your workplaces. No one has called. No, you can ask the team here. No one has called. Hi, we work over at the printing company, and we just love it if Pastor Louie could come over and do a Bible study, tell everyone about Jesus, share the love of God. Is he available? Haven't gotten a call. But you have the little thing when you swipe it on the deal, the light turns green and the door opens and you walk in every day. Why? Well, it's just where I'm working right now. My brother knew somebody who worked there before, and Blah, 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 and they blah, 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 blah. I got a job. Wow, that's inspiring. I don't really like it, but it's what I'm doing right now. That's inspiring. I really don't do that great of a job, honestly, at it, because my boss isn't even around right now, and we're working remotely from home, so nobody knows what I'm doing, so I'm not hardly even doing much right now, but that's cool, because it's COVID, and um, that's inspiring. Man, I hope I get some employees like that when I get a business to run who only work when somebody's watching them. I don't know why I even got into all this except to say God may have put you in your job because people at your work need Jesus. Well, what am I supposed to do? Buy everybody at the office a Bible? Maybe not the first step. Number one, crush your job to the glory of God. Make it impossible for them to do what they do without you. Number one. If you don't even believe in God and don't even care about Jesus, still do that. That's the best thing anyone can do. Add value to people's lives and to the community and to the world. Crush your job. Secondly, care about the people you work with. Don't participate in the negative stories. Build up positive stories and care about people. And if you do those two things, you will be noticed and probably promoted at your place of work. And when you are noticed and promoted at your place of work, it will give you two paths to get on. One of them is I'm building my brand. One of them is I'm building a platform to share the brand that is the brand. And as you continue to crush your job and care for the people around you, most likely you will continue to be promoted 
And eventually you will get equity to be able to say, I'm a Christian and not get cut off before you finish the sentence. And then when you say, man, my company, I'm the people I work with, they are lost. I'm talking, we need a wake-up call at my office. We need a revival at my place of work. And God's saying, yes, you do. And that's why I sent you there to be the embers of the revival at your place. And that's only gonna happen if somehow we tear down this imaginary wall that the enemy has built between the sacred and the secular. And we think, well, my work life is one thing and my church life is another thing. My, my work life, that's just the thing I do. My, my church life, that's really like where my heart and my soul are. And God's saying, I need light in your job. I need light in your neighborhood. I need light in your community. I need light in where you hang out. And guess what? You're the light. We don't need any professional sacred people to show up. You are the sacred person in the place where you are. You are the Jesus light in the place where you are. And the goal isn't for all of us to get in a building, it's to get out of this building and into every inch of the city. We've said it so many different times, but Tozer says it's not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular, it's why he does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify the Lord God in his heart and he can thereafter do no common act. It's like when God called Moses, said, go, I'm gonna use you to set my people free. Moses was like, I can't even talk good. I don't, I, I'm not the right guy. And, and then he's questioning like, who, who are you? The, the I am that I am. So what if I get there, he says in chapter four, and they don't believe me and they don't believe in the burning bush and the holy ground and the take your shoes off and all that stuff. And he said, what's in your hand, Moses? And he said, my staff, of course. I was up here tending to my father-in-law's flock on the back of this mountain. Of course, I've got a staff in my hand like anybody tending a flock would. He said, throw it down. And when he threw the staff down, it turned into a snake. Moses did what I would have done. He freaked out because he wasn't into snakes. And then God said, now pick it up by the tail. I would have said at that point, I know, I threw it down. You pick it up. <laughs> but he gets the tail and it turns back into a staff. Now that story has a, a little bit of a different angle, but I wonder if maybe that's what God's saying to you today when you're thinking, I don't know how I'm gonna be in this, this global expansion of the gospel. I don't know how God's gonna use me here, there, and everywhere. Maybe he's just saying today, what's in your hand? Okay, throw it down. Just let it go. Say, I, I'm, I am a nurse practitioner, and I'm just gonna put that down and say, God, if you can somehow use being a nurse practitioner and turn it into something supernatural, I'm gonna take what I have in my hand, what I'm good at right now, and I'm gonna put that in to the equation. And I'm gonna trust you to use me. The third thing that has to happen is that we can't lose sight of the ultimate because of the immediate. This verse is underlined in my text because one of my mentors when I was in uh, high school and at summer youth camp in our church group used to teach on this text all the time. He said in verse nine, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, 
because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. You can go and track in a few other of the writings of Paul and you can catch up to where Demas joins the team, where he gets in on the mission. Imagine being a guy who's right next to Paul in the flow. But the pull and the allure is so strong that at some point he just checks out and says, you know what, my friends keep texting me, they're in Thessalonica right now, it's all going down, and I just feel like maybe I wanna go join them. And he abandons the ultimate for the immediate. And I feel like if we're just honest today, that's where a lot of us are. We, we don't disbelieve that God has a mission. We're just more interested in the immediate than the ultimate. It's far easier for me to invest my money in something that immediately brings benefit to my life rather than giving of myself to the ultimate end that Jesus be known everywhere on planet Earth. And I know that that pull is strong. Especially if you can pluck a guy right out of the gospel story. And I wonder if maybe that's where you are today. You're still in the gathering, but you just got plucked out of the story somewhere along the way. And you're pouring all of your time and energy into the immediate and not the ultimate. Paul said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go right now. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race and I have kept the faith. I'm ready to go right now. I never lost sight of the ultimate for the immediate. Tying closely to that, you can't buy the lie that past failure will disqualify you from future and current roles in God's story. In other words, you can't buy into this idea that because you blew it somewhere along the way, you don't get a chance to be back into the story. That's what he says right after this in verse 11, only Luke is with me. Now who is Luke, by the way? Luke's the guy who wrote the entire book of Acts, wrote the gospel of Luke, eyewitness account of Jesus, and then he wrote the account of the ascension of Jesus back into heaven, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, and all the story that we've seen of the expansion of the early church. All that came through the eyewitness documentation of Dr. Luke. And now Luke is with Paul at the end. He's still there writing the last bit of Acts with Paul. But then he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now, we've talked about this a lot in the past, but um, when Paul took off the first time with Barnabas, John Mark was with them, but John Mark bailed on the, on the mission, and so when they started out the second time, uh, Barnabas wants John Mark to come along again, and Paul said, no way, he, he's a quitter, and he ain't coming. And Paul and Barnabas split over it. It wasn't like a big, giant theological riff, it was just not if he's coming. And all of a sudden now there's two new teams going out. 
But somewhere along the way, Mark got back in the story, got back in the flow, even though he'd kind of been embarrassed when you get shut out of a, of a return journey by Paul himself, that word trickles around. Oh, you're the quitter who didn't get to go on the second missionary trip. That's awesome. But now somehow he's back, and he's back in the story. He's been restored. We see that in a different place in Paul's writing. And now in the fine print, in the personal remarks, which we're not sure we didn't just end with a mic drop. Oh, because God wants people to know, even though you are out, you can be back in. Even though you failed, you can get back in. Even though you quit, you can get back in. None of your past situation is gonna keep you from getting back in the story of God. May change the configuration a little bit of how and where you're serving, but your story can be used for somebody else to understand the goodness and the grace of God, and he wants you back in the story right now. The enemy's telling you you failed and you lost your shot, and God is saying everybody gets a shot today to get back in the story of God. Two last things. The fifth one is that we understand that no ask is too small because the king is so great. In other words, there's no, uh, no job too small because the king is so great. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in scripture. Verse 13. We're down... Uh, Get John Mark, uh, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Oh, and when you come, Timothy, hopefully before winter, bring my cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. <laughs> you kidding me? You're kidding me, right? That the Holy Spirit wasted some of his God breath because all scripture is God breathed. And I'm gonna breathe on one sentence that says, oh, by the way, when you come, please bring my cloak that I left with Carpus and Troas? Why does that need to be in the Bible? <laughs> hey, Timothy, can you get my coat? I believe that the Holy Spirit wrote that in the personal remarks at the end of a brilliant chapter where there should have been a mic drop so that I can know that no job's too small if the king is that great. So you're like, well, Louis, I'm just like, I just, I got a coat. It's Paul's coat. And it might have kept him alive just long enough to write some more of the Bible. The parchments, okay, I'll get the parchments. Are you gonna write the word of God on them? I notice you've been writing letters and there's been something powerful happening as you're writing. I'll bring the parchments, but the coat, we can get somebody to get the coat. What if Timothy had had that attitude? Are you kidding me? I'm your protege. I, this letter is written to me. It's called 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. My son, I'm your son. I'm the one you're raising up. I'm the one that you're putting in place. What, the coat? You gonna put that in there? Just tell me. Hey, get the coat. You're gonna put it like right in there like I'm the coat boy. Why didn't you just like slip me a note and say, mic drop, boom, finish the race. Prize for me and glory, boom. Hey, can you ask Timothy to bring the cloak from Carpus's house? Timothy's like, I didn't know that was gonna be in the Bible. 
Yes, I got the coat. I love it. Because the enemy, one of his greatest tools is you're not visible, therefore you're not valuable. Therefore you stop being available and you write yourself out of the story of God. Number two, the enemy has a way of saying, you, you're, you're not, who are you to tell anybody about Jesus? You're a statistician. Stay in your lane. The enemy has so many tools. None greater than pride. So you, that's, that's what I'm doing right now? No, I'm, that, no, I don't do that. I don't do cloaks, thank you. Versus, man, if this king is inviting me in, and there's nothing beneath me except the grace of God that I'm standing on. One of the legends when I was a young, up-and-coming um, pastor, preacher, minister in my late 20s was a guy named Dave Busby. He went to heaven um, toward the end of 1997, if I have my years right. Spoke at the very first Passion Conference wasn't alive by the time we did the second one. He had cystic fibrosis and had already lived long into his 40s, far more than the life expectancy. And when you have cystic fibrosis and you preach for a living, that's a, that's a tough road. But he had a powerful, prophetic anointing on his life. He, he was one of the guys when I was 29 years old. And I had been around him a few times. He might have known who I was, but barely. And he was the kind of guy that I just watched like a hawk and not only learned from, but watched everything that he did. And we were at a conference in Colorado about, I don't remember exactly how many, I wanna say 100 youth leaders from around the southwest part of the country. I was living in Texas at the time. And I was like, the lowest guy on the totem pole at this gathering. Somehow got invited there. Dave Busby was speaking in it. The last morning we were sitting at breakfast and there was a, long, a couple of long tables and I was a few seats down across the table from him just kind of like feeling like we're friends, you know, like I am at the table with Dave Busby. This is before the invention of the personal computer or I would have, you know, Instagrammed something. But um, we're talking about a long, long time ago in a far, far away land. And... Um, I'm just like, I'm, I'm sitting here with Dave Busby. And then he looks down and he like includes me in the conversation and I'm like, wow. And then toward the end of the meal, he looked at me and he said, can I tell you something privately? I was like, like you want me to come around there? He said, yeah. <laughs> I got down right beside him and I'm like, Dave Busby like just called me over. And he said, would you do something for me? Yes. And I don't know what it's gonna be. Like we're gonna go on tour together, I'm gonna open, he's gonna come, he's gonna close. 
we're gonna put out a DVD teaching series together. He wants me to come speak to his youth group in Minnesota. I, I'm ready, yes. He said, could you go up to my room? And he handed me his room key, it's 202. And get my bags, they're all packed and by the door. Do you mind carrying them down to the lobby? Because this altitude's killing me. Be happy to. Hustled on up to 202. Opened the door. There were the bags. I got them and took them down to the lobby. And before today, nobody knew that I brought the bags to the lobby because I didn't have Instagram. <laughs> oh, I would have totally storied that. These are Dave Busby's bags, people. I am now in possession of Dave Busby's bags. I now am coming down, excuse, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, could you move over? These are Dave Busby's bags. Excuse me, do you mind moving? I have, I have Dave Busby's bags. I mean, come on. And I remember, I can still remember to this moment that that, when he said that sentence, it was a heart check for me, even at 29. It was just like he was saying, hey, do you mind getting my coat? And I believe that if we can overcome this sense that they're little and big things in the kingdom and just understand that there's just a king in the kingdom. And there are no little or big things. They're only the king's things in the kingdom. And when the king invites me to hold one of his things, what a privilege. And then lastly, we have to see that the reward of heaven is worth the price of life. What is worth your life? So you just get to live one. You don't get two. You don't get to come back. You're not gonna get another trip around. This is it. You get one race. You get one fight. You get one face. And you're going to buy something with your life. You're gonna to get to own something at the end. And Paul is just asking, do you see and believe today that the reward of heaven is worth the price of life? Paul said when he was writing to the church in Philippi in the first chapter, verse 21, he said, for to me, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, for me, to live is Christ. Oh, to die, oh, that's gain. 
he went on to say, so I'm torn, honestly, because if I get to stay here, that's good for you, because that's just more Jesus. But if I go away, that's what I really, really want. So I kind of really want to go away, but I know I really kind of need to stay. Can you imagine the freedom of living in that place? Oh, I get to live again today? Awesome. That's just more Jesus for you. Oh, I'm dying today? Oh, that's just more Jesus for me. So either way, I win. This is a can't lose mindset. So he's in Rome. Church tradition says that Nero, after the great fire in Rome, lost his mind if he hadn't lost it already. Started one of the most atrocious persecutions of Christians in history. And it was in that window of time that Paul was being poured out like a drink offering and his departure was near. Peter, who was not a Roman citizen, was also in Rome and was crucified upside down in the same persecution. Paul, being a citizen of Rome, could not be crucified. That was only reserved for barbarians who were lower than the status of citizens of Rome and the Roman Empire. And so being a Roman citizen, Paul couldn't be crucified And so church tradition says he was beheaded. And can you imagine that, coming to the end of your life and looking up at a guillotine and saying, this is my greatest day on planet Earth. Oh, oh, is this the day? Awesome, this is gonna be the day. This is the best day of all days for me. And if the people had said, okay, you think it's so great? We're not gonna do it today. He said, that's okay. That'll just be more Jesus for you. If I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. If I'm here, the whole Praetorian Guard's gonna hear. If I'm here, some of those in Herod's household are gonna hear. If I'm here, I'm gonna plant churches and strengthen them. If I'm here, I'm gonna preach the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles. If I'm here, I'm gonna tell everybody in Rome. If I am here, it's gonna be Jesus, and if I die, it's gonna be gain. I consider the reward of heaven worth my life. And it's only when that shifts in me, and it's only when that shifts in you, when you begin to say, for me, to live is more Jesus for the people on this planet. And for me to die is more Jesus for me. I'm torn. (laughs) Do I wanna do Monday or do I wanna do glory? I wanna do glory, but probably better for the world if I do Monday. So I'm gonna do Monday, but Monday's gonna get Jesus. Jesus considered you worth dying for. Hoping that you would consider him dying for you a message worth you giving your life for. And just saying, here I am, I'm available. I'm available. My qualification, I've had an encounter with Jesus. And I'm willing to share it with the world. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.